0: Welcome to the Antler Up podcast brought to you by Tethered, the world's best saddle hunting equipment. We have an awesome show for you guys today. And on today's episode, I was joined by Cody Jenkins from the Whitetail Legacy podcast. This was a podcast I have been looking forward to recording for quite some time, and it did not disappoint. Cody has been recording podcasts for over six years and has killed some big bucks. And that is exactly what we discussed in this week's episode. We kick off the podcast when we chat about Cody himself and how he has been able to be consistent recording podcasts, but also getting it done in the woods. You really hear from Cody how important family is to him and what fun he is having getting his children into the woods and into hunting. And we discuss other topics from improving yourself to be better in and out of the woods physically and mentally, what current stages he's in right now preparing for next season. And this was really fun to hear how Cody is finding big deer and how he is trying to find the easiest ways to kill them. We also talk about how he uses trails cameras, hunting stories from this past season, breaking down a property for scouting, and so much more. We also talk about perfect hunting setups and what exactly Cody is looking for when he sets up on a killable buck. He touched upon his current state of trail cameras with regarding Kansas and also the excitement of ta- taking his kids out next season for hunting. So an awesome episode i could have talked to cody for another three four hours really enjoy this one looking forward to having him on again in the future if you're not already listening to the whitetail legacy podcast go give it a go give it a, a follow and listen again thank you everybody for all of the support with antler up the podcast if you like what you hear go give it a five-star review on itunes also on spotify Thank you. Thank you so much. If there's anything that you're looking forward to hearing or want to hear, or a particular guest, shoot me a message on Instagram, email, whatever. And we'll try to get it done. Thanks again, everybody, for all the support. Have a great week. Antler up. And before we dive into this week's episode, I want to mention a few things regarding some of the favorite gear that I use. And turkey season's in full swing down south in Pennsylvania. We're going to be rolling here in a couple weeks. And I've cannot stress to you enough if you like vests or if you want to be a little mobile and you wore them before you couldn't find the right one I cannot stress enough how awesome this tether new m2 vest really is there's a lot of good videos on it already Jared Schaefer from tether just posted like his pack out right now I'm going to do one here soon it's just awesome it's extremely modular you could set it up a 100 different ways and there's other ways you could wear it into The whitetail woods, fishing, just going out hiking, scouting, anything like that. It's not just a turkey vest. So check it out over at tethernation.com. It's made right here in the USA. All right, everybody. It is that time of year again where you are able to upgrade to the best trail cam that you could get. Let's face it. We all have a camera that's lying around that's either broken or completely worthless. Thankfully, right now, after a ton of great feedback from last year, Exodus is opening up an upgrade program. So how does this work in short order any camera on ExodusOutdoorgear.com and use the code upgrade to save 25% on any Exodus render render bundle rival or rival bundle. After you place your order, the Exodus team will send you a return label for your trading camera. After receiving the camera, they'll ship it straight to you. I've done this in the, in the past. It's a great program. So if you're new to Exodus though, and you want to give them a, a, a try, I'll just say this, they have a five year warranty, five year theft and damage coverage, and the best in class customer service. I've been using Exodus for about three and a half years now, and they have been proven to be reliable, dependable, some of the best features, really the best features of any trail camera that you can get. So be sure to take advantage of this unique savings opportunity and replace any old junky camera with a bulletproof and dependable Exodus camera. This program is only good for the remainder of April or while supplies last. So as always, be sure to head over to their website and sign up for their email newsletter to stay up to date with all their upcoming announcements. And I'll tell you what, I've caught wind of some really cool things that are going to be coming down soon. So be sure to do that over at ExodusOutdoorGear.com and sign up today and do the, check out the upgrade program. Last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We partnered with social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. And Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards. Free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. And if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit and download GoWild.com to get started. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to uh, the Antler Up podcast. I'm joined tonight by another whitetail fanatic. Obviously, that's what I love to do is talk to people that love whitetail hunting and just the passion, the drive that these people have. And on the other line, I have podcast host Cody Jenkins from the Whitetail Legacy podcast. Man, Cody, I've heard amazing things about you from friends. I've listened to your podcast. You guys do do an amazing job. Welcome to the show, man.
1: Thanks. I appreciate you having me on and uh, get to chat on another podcast. Always fun to, to go on another podcast and uh, just get in their flow and have a good conversation where, I'm not leading the conversation someone else is. It's pretty fun to engage.
0: (laughs) It's always fun to shoot the shit, talk about hunting, man. I I love it. You know, speaking of a podcast and before you do a a quick introduction about yourself and everything else that you're doing, you know, do you remember maybe starting out a couple of years ago when you were going and you're recording these podcasts? Do you ever, you don't have to say the guest name, but does one episode come to mind where you're like, man, that shit was just a dud?
1: Oh, yeah, I had um, – I won't say the name, but the the guest had just shot the potential state typical record for Oklahoma. Um, and I was doing the Legend of the Woods series, and I got him on, like, fairly quick. And a lot of times with these Legend of the Woods series, what a lot of people don't know is, like, they're three-, four-, five-year-old bucks. Like, they sure shot that far, that long ago. Mm-hmm. But it's because a lot of these people have – like contracts with magazines like rack magazine or North American whitetail or something where they can't give away the details until the article is uploaded by them. Sometimes they just get the opportunity to be in there. And then sometimes they get a little bit of money, I guess um, for putting a story in there, but he didn't want to go around that route. So I got him on pretty, you know, pretty quick. And the dude, he just like, if I, that was me, I would be ecstatic. Like I would, want want everybody to know about this deer like and he just wasn't real excited about it i'm (laughs) like dude like you shot a typical seven by seven freak of a whitetail like it's just a forest of tines on each side all you know typical as hell and you potentially have the state record um, and, uh, he, you know, it, he told a story, but maybe I was just more excited than him. And he was just kind of like, well, this is, this is what happened, you know? And I'm <laughs> like, dude, you should be way more jacked up right now.
0: <laughs> yep. Kind of something similar. I mean, I didn't have someone on regarding like a monster kill, but again, I remember having uh, a guest or two where I was really excited to have on. And then again, just, I don't know if they were just having a rough day or if that's their, their even kill, what kind of, you know, tone. They just did not live up to my expectations, I guess, of of excitement. And I was like, oh, it was hard to keep a conversation going. And it was like, I remember writing stuff down, and once I looked over at the roadcaster and I saw, I don't know, 35, 40 minutes. I already was kind of just blank, and in my mind, I'm like, this is tanking. I was like, all right, man, that's a good one for right now. yeah. Let's you know, wrap
1: this. Up. Let's wrap this. A lot up. of times, I I uh, I'm watching the watching the numbers tick away when i'm recording and i uh i feel like people love that marker. you know a little less than an hour trying to keep it around there sometimes i go longer sometimes it's way shorter i just kind of fill out the guest and uh you know like you said sometimes you might catch him on a bad day where the guy's you know is rough getting the kids to bed or you know he got off work late or something and you can just tell if if the guy wants to be there i'll yeah. let it go a little longer but if i can kind of see how he's flowing and then i'll kind of set back, maybe not ask two or three questions I had um, just trying to be respectful of his time because one thing about us doing podcasts is we' we're, we're dedicating our time but the people coming on are also giving us content and time um, with little value for them other than getting to be on a podcast. So <laughs> nice. I try to make sure that if I'm filling a guy out and he's not really having a good time, Keep it as short as possible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, though. <laughs> I'm with you. I do think about 50 to that 120 minutes. Uh, that is the bread and butter for me mm-hmm. personally. That I like listening to certain podcasts. Now, there's certain guests. You know, I'll I'll occasionally listen to a Joe Rogan podcast. I I was there for a while. Just I like kind of he had a good segue of guests on that. I was like, ooh, I like this person. I like this person. But you know, when he has uh, some of his good friends on and they are three hours long. I'll just sit there and listen and laugh and everything like that. But yeah, for me, for a hunting podcast, if you know, if there's like a main topic or two to three main topics and it's a 20 minute kind of breakup conversation of each three of those topics, that is seems to be my, that what I like. Right. So it's, you know, I think we we do this because selfishly we like talking to people about hunting. So Mm. we kind of selfishly lead, you know, doing this. So, but man, Cody, I, I, you're, I like this already. So, you know, where could, I guess, introduce yourself. I always liked, I'm a big baseball fan, you know, baseball season's kicking off right now. What is your back of your baseball card as far as growing up hunting your podcast, how long you've been doing it, all that stuff, man, like introduce yourself.
1: All right. Well, Cody Jenkins, um, I've been podcasting for almost six years, November would be six years. So five and a half years or so. Um, started when, uh, you know, it was, I started with wired to hunt, like everybody did, and then started uh, listening to working class. Um, and then I was like, man, uh, this is something I want to do. I, I was always the guy that like was talking about whitetails to people that didn't really care to talk about whitetails. <laughs> um, I work on, on the railroad, which a lot of people would think that that's kind of a blue collar job. So it'd be heavily hunting. Um, but there's not a lot of guys that hunt, uh, at my job, like maybe they've went hunting or, but there's not a lot of them that like turkey hunt or fish, or there's just a select few, um, you know, and it's, I think it's my area. It seems like, like if I work with guys from like Missouri or Oklahoma or something, oh, they're all about it, you know, and they're, they're chatted up. But when I was working, you know, at home, there wasn't like a core group of guys that were like, yeah, we're just diehard. Um, They all thought I was crazy for taking three weeks off and hunting straight in November and stuff. And um, so created the podcast and didn't know what the hell we were doing to start and fumbled around and said some stuff we probably shouldn't have and said some good things. And uh, um, I'm a really big guy on uh, consistency and doing what I say I'm going to do. Really adamant on my kids on consistency. I feel like if you can do – Anything consistent in life, it, it makes other stuff easier. Like podcasting isn't a struggle. It's not something that like, oh, it's Wednesday. I, 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 it's I need to get like not I need I have to get a podcast up. There's no like I can miss a week. There's nothing like that. Um, so, out of those five and a half years, I've missed one Wednesday at eleven a.m. Had COVID for nineteen days. And wasn't able to make it happen, but AM Central Time for five and a half years, I've released a podcast. Um, uh, other than that, I'm a dad. I got four kids. I have an eight-year-old boy, a five-year-old boy, a three-year-old boy, and a nine-month-old daughter. I'm a husband. I have a wife, Taylor. Um, awesome wife lets me hunt a shitload. <laughs> um, let's the more that the boys get involved, the easier she is. Pretty much anything for the kids. She's a Her mom's the same way, really um, born to be, you know, a mother. Um, She's a nurse. She works full time, takes care of the kids. Um, I do my part heavily as well. I'm engaged as I possibly can with everything they have going on. Um, And uh, I've always been real adamant on my kid likes hunting. Cool. We're going to go hardcore on that. One of my kids is into wrestling. We go hardcore on that. One of my kids likes to play Fortnite. I don't know what I'm doing. He <laughs> whoops my ass all the time, but I go in there and make a point to, to play Fortnite with him. But I've been coaxing him to Madden and I'm showing him the old dad. There you go. The old dad PlayStation 2 Madden coming out. I've been whooping up on him pretty good on that. But, uh, you know, I just real adamant on being the best dad I can, the best dude I possibly can, and uh, working on myself as well. Um, try to be as healthy as I can, not for me or the way I looks, but my kid's eight years old and he's a savage and my five-year-old's getting more. And it's just like, how am I going to keep up with these kids when they're 15 and 14? And I don't want to be that dad that's on the sideline. Like I want to be that dad that's dancing on the dance floor goofy as hell, you know? So in a nutshell, that's me is I literally give as much effort and 24 hours as I can. I don't sleep much. Um, I try to get as much as I've done in, in one day and I never feel like I do enough. Um, not definitely not an overachiever, but, um, definitely strive to, to make every hour worth it, um, during the day. So
0: hell yeah, man, motivation already for, you know, myself already, I'm all jazzed up for, from listening to you say that. And man, you, you brought up a great point right before we started rec- recording and how you said you're. older son is getting into hunting and you're you know kind of strategizing strategizing to get him going and getting him gear and stuff like that and ironically yeah yeah it was yesterday i went to our local gun shop and i got my daughter a 410 my daughter's nine and she she's she has shown interest in hunting i've taken her out this past year a couple times with the crossbow as well and she has a 243 so when you were saying these things i'm like Oh yeah, I know exactly what he's going through. It's so yeah. cool because I, w- I left school and my wife's like, why are you going straight to Clearfield? I'm like, cause I have to get to Grice's before they close. I got to get this gun. She's like, why are you buying a gun? I said for Nora, she's like, she told you she'll just use what I said. Nope. Nope. She needs her single shot. I want to get, <laughs> you know, I mean,
1: yeah,
0: you know, luckily these single shots are not that pricey, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so I yeah. mean, I, I was out the door for with ammo and a red dot for less than, right around $300. So it's just cool that now, I I don't know, I love just being able to get her involved. And even though she's not like gung ho about it, she is Mm. showing interest and likes to go out with me and even scouting and stuff like that. So, you know, I just have the one, but like you said, man, it is important to keep yourself healthy, mentally, physically, is keeping your your wife happy and that relationship going. And because, man, with four of them running around here and getting that older like that, I I love that you're like, I want to be able to be that dad to dance. And man, I, yeah. respe- I respect that, dude.
1: Yeah, I want to. People are like, why do you why do you work out so much? I'm like, I just want to rip. Says, hey, we're gonna go hike the <laughs> mountains. I'm like, I'm in. Hey, we're gonna go ice skating. I'm in like, I, yep. you know, I, I don't care what it is. I just don't want to be like, man, I don't know if I can do that. Or I don't want to be the dad that's like sitting down. We've been there for 30 minutes and I'm wiped. You know, I want to be like, come on, let's go guys. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's keep going, you know? And, and that's me. Like I'm get. I got my kid, my oldest kid loves to run. I, we did a ninja obstacle mud course with him last year, mile and a half. And I'm out in front like pushing him and helping him over stuff. And he's like, I don't know if I can make it. I'm like, I got to go over this after you do. So if I can make it, you can make it. And the my dad was older and didn't hunt um, and really adamant on, you know, making money and not really engaging. Um, so I just wanted to make my my childhood, my kid's childhood, the complete opposite. Like I'm going to be the annoying dad that's like, calling them when they're all be like, hey dude, what's up? Like, <laughs> what do you got going on? <laughs> <You
0: know? Yep. laughs> Take the guesswork out of building your own arrows for this upcoming season by ordering a custom set of MMT arrows from Exodus Outdoor Gear. They have developed and sourced literally the most precise archery components on earth to build a tailored arrow for your hunting adventures. Just head over to Exodus's website and plug in your specifications in the arrow builder and have your custom set sent straight to your door. And use code AU12 to save 12% off your custom set over at exodusoutdoorgear.com. I like that dude. What about, um, you know, you're talking about improving yourself and what is maybe something that outside of hunting that you have improved that then transitioned over into the whitetail woods?
1: Um, something that I think I've, that's helped me a lot is the ability to, to working out is what a lot of people say. And I do work out, but just the absolutely, And not saying I need to work out, but you have to, like, it's something that you have to do, you know, and if you miss a day, it's fine, whatever. Um, And I, a lot of people don't know this. I was actually 45 pounds heavier than I am right now. Um, I started traveling on the road when I first got my job, first had my first kids trying to make as much money. I'm living out of a hotel nine months out of the year, driving back on the weekends, eating gas station food. You know, I'm driving like to New Mexico on Monday or Sunday, and then driving back from New Mexico on Friday and then driving back to Mexico on Sunday. Like, every weekend, I'm doing a 17-hour drive to get home to spend a couple days with my kids, drive back, um, Texas, uh, Idaho, Montana. I'm all over the place. Um, and it, life just caught up with me. I got lazy, and uh, I lost that weight. And the, the fact that I was... You know, you got to lose the weight. You got to lose the weight. In my mind, these kids, they're growing. They want to do stuff. You're not going to be able to do it. Um, And I got to the fact where I was pushing myself really, really hard. And if you follow my content, like three or four years ago, we pushed ourselves, like, really, really, really hard. Like, we went kind of overboard. I did the same thing with working out. I got really, really low body fat percentage, and I injured myself pretty bad just doing too much. Um, so something the past three years that I've learned is like, it's o it's okay to chill a day. It's not going to ruin. It's okay to chill a couple days. Like I know a lot of the people like listen to the and people, and they're like every day you gotta be there. Like, and if you need the motivation, that's cool. Um, but it converts right back to hunting. Like you don't, in my mind, if I don't hunt, I'm, I feel like I'm missing an opportunity that might be there, right. but now like, uh, maybe I'll play it easy today. I'm a little tired. I'm going to hunt, but I'm going to hunt an easier spot and being okay with it. When three or four years ago, I I would have been like, we got to go um, and wouldn't have had as much fun. Um, I killed both ways. But me understanding over time that I can't be absolutely 110% all the time um, helped me out with, you had a bad hunt isn't the end of the world tomorrow's a new day you know you didn't you didn't go as far as you want to you didn't hang as quiet as you wanted you didn't set as long as you want it's all it's all cool because when you start losing weight over years and years and years it's not like a day that matters it's a three months that matters right like you know three months of pretty consistent missing a few days is better than three months and then burning yourself out so that's that's what i would say. You know, on bettering myself that helped me be a better hunter was just sometimes shit don't go right, and it's not your fault. It's just that <laughs> you're yep. spooked on the way in and ruined something or something. You know, it's just you just got to roll with it. So that's what I would say.
0: I like that, man. I could totally agree and relate. I'm sure a lot of people listening can as well. And it's something right now that I think you we work on right we are trying to like you said it, i know it's the working out thing and it's just the, to be healthier in general but you know it it's also the mind it, it's kind of like that one and one thing and it's when you're in that right mindset and when it trans- transitions over into hunting those opportunities come like you said it's Okay, you're mentally either one prepared and you're okay with maybe certain situations if it doesn't go your way and you work your way through it. It just all kind of seems seamlessly works together and it and there's so there's endless of situations really in that that could kind of go within that category and how that helps. So, dude, that you're you're spot on because when we work out and we train and we're trying to better ourselves, whether it be a husband in our positions and a father in our positions, you know, and uh, live a healthy life, that's where, you know, it's up here right in our mind that Mm -hmm. we have to be solid too for that. No, man, that's, that's great. Well, right now where we're at, we're in the end of kind of like we're getting to the end of March, dude, it is March 21st. And I had, I just put a new camera up over on Saturday, which would have been what the 19th, I think it would have been. Um, and I just put up a camera as a cell camera. I wanted to see what was going on in the area. And I had a buck show up tonight with both sides of his, of antlers still, I was like, dude, this is crazy, man. Yeah, March 21st. I got a
1: theory. I got a theory for that. But a lot of people are like, why are they holding um, so long? And I have, at least for my area, I have a theory um, of why I think that is. But um, I know there's a lot of theories out there. But for a lot of people, like when I look back in my best shed finds, yeah, from the 15th to the 10th of March is when I find the most sheds. Like that's when I do that. I'm gonna go hit this place again, and then that's when I find, you know, that it might have been laying there three weeks, but I end up finding it then. And it seems like the biggest sheds I've found are either really, really early, like late January, or this time, you know, mid right. late March. Right. So
0: Yeah, I don't know, man. It's crazy. But talking about this time frame, what are you doing right now? What what does preparing for Next season, next next season, look like for you, really.
1: So, um, over the past few years, um, I've kind of this is how I I'm explained it is I've kind of took an uh, a shotgun method where I'm trying to find the biggest deer to hunt, and uh, I'm going out, and I'm not, but a lot of people don't realize that I think click for me for a few years ago, I'm not only trying to find the biggest deer to hunt. I'm trying to find the biggest deer to hunt. That's the easiest to kill. Okay. Which a lot it's that skips a lot of people's mind. There's a giant deer here, but it's an insanely hard spot to, to kill that deer. Or maybe you've hunted him for two years and you're like, man, this deer is really hard to kill. Like, um, but I run a bunch of cams, a lot of different properties. I'm always scouting new stuff, bopping around, And uh, it doesn't take a lot to really like, oh, man, this looks good. I need to get something in here. You know, I need to get a cam in here. And there's always that in the back of my mind, like, what if there's a giant in here? Like, even if the sign's like mediocre, you're like, man, what if there's just a giant in here? And he's, you know, he's not getting pressured and there's someone's missing something um, and a lot of cams. Well, if you run, I run right around 40 cams. Okay. If you run that many cams you get a lot of bucks on cam, and then it becomes the game of oh, I got, this is a target buck. This is the target buck. And you got time to take a shotgun and say, I think this boat up here might do this today. I'm going to go there. And then you're hunting 45 minutes away from home. And then you hunt there two days and now you're hunting 10 minutes away from home. And then you're on another buck and then you hunt him for two or three days and then you're on another property. Um, that's what I've done in the past. And I, this January, February, I started doing the same thing. I'm stretching out even further. I'm two hours away from home on public land. I'm two and a half hours away from home and I'm scouting stuff and man, stuff's looking good and <laughs> low pressure. Like I got one spot, man, it's river bottom. Just opened up to hunting last year. Only three deer were killed off of it. No human pressure at all. Oof. Incredibly thick, good sign. I'm like, man, this, it feels like a lot of does and the private is there's box blinds and stuff all around the private. I'm like, okay, pressure, no pressure here. The does are going to be here. They're going to get pushed in here. Um, and it's one of those spots. It's like twisting my arm, but it's, it's on the state line. Like it's pretty far, you know, it's right on the river on the state line. Um, but I'm trying to rope it back in, um, when i when I really started to lay down giants after giant after giant, I had a stretch there where I just was killing you know really solid big deer every year, a couple of them and i'm I'm still killing deer, but they're not I'm not as consistent and I'm not killing them early October I did last year, but um, I'm just stretching myself too thin on too many different properties, okay? So this year I'm gonna pick. A couple bucks that I deem that I not only want to shoot, but are that are to kill, that I think is the easiest to kill. I got a buck that I missed last year that I named Jojo. It's one of those bucks that I can only hunt the field edge. The buck's nocturnal. I put a lot of effort on that deer. <laughs> I had an opportunity on him October 30th. I hit a limb. I would have got it done, but he. I, I ran 11 cams on – the pieces within a mile of that area. There, I, there's a couple different pieces of private, and I only had him on one cam in daylight one time during the whole entire year. And then I encountered him in daylight. I seen him go into an area in the morning, and then I went back in there that evening and caught him coming out. Um, and I thought he would come right to these scrapes, and he went downwind of the scrapes, like yep. pretty far. Um, and he hung on the field edge, which I. I never killed a big deer on a field edge unless it was on like a little secluded food plot. Like I've never killed one working the edge of a scrape on a field edge or something. It's always been in the timber or on a, a little food plot or in a pinch point or something like that or C R P but uh he went downwind of it and gave me that forty yard shot, low light, hit a limb. And then I knew this deer was already like really hard to kill. Um cause he wasn't daylighting on my piece very well. And then the spot that he was daylighting, I spooked him. And then I continued to hunt that deer over and over on and off throughout the year. And, um, I should have just washed it and ran cameras connected data and kind of let him chill. Um, but that, that would be what I'm doing right now is trying to rope. I'm still scouting ground. Um, just cause I love to, look at stuff and think about how deer would react and what the signs show. And just to keep my mind in the game for right. when, when it counts. Um, uh, but we myself into, even with pulling all my trail cam data. Um, I got a pile of cards right here in front of the, in the table, uh, like 13 or 14 cards, um, that I've been going through and just ciphering data and then kind of cataloging like, do I deem this buck killable? and is it something that i want to go after next year if it's not something i want to go after next year i'm going to pull some assets off of him and put it, assets on the bucks that i think are killable it. um because if you hit that shotgun pattern you only have so many assets so much time and if i would have had four more cams on that deer you know jojo could it made a difference maybe maybe not but right. you can't hunt you can't hunt 10 bucks. That's something that like, Mm -hmm. I got to really focus on next year. Cause I do start getting bucks everywhere. You're like, Oh man, I got go over here. I go over here and having a couple spots is good, but having 10 or 15 bucks that you're like, yeah, I'd shoot that. Like it's, that's what you're going to (laughs) do.
0: That's challenging, man. That's a big challenge. Now, let me ask you this about your cameras and multiple properties. Do you look at it on a, uh, a front of a number of years at all. Like, do you say, "Hey, this is like a three-year plan where I'm going to watch this area one year, get the lay of the land. If things really pop up, and then, like you said, I think it could be an easy kill, then I, you could go in there. But say if it's not an easy kill, and you really still like that property because you still they're like that, you found that big deer, but it's not maybe daylighting or do you move those cameras, toss other cameras out? So come year two, you see what it, what that would bring. Do you have any philosophy regarding that? Like a time frame until you kind of, I don't want to say leave a spot, right. But like, until you're, uh, I'm going in on this spot instead of the other.
1: So one thing that I've noticed over the past years of, of running, um, you know, I, so many cams and, and so many different properties is, there's always your consistently good spots for really, really big deer. Like if a property has a really big deer, um, there's, and it's, you know, it's fairly good size. Even if that deer gets killed, there's going to be another big deer or there might be two or three good deer that are going to be big deer. Um, so I always, I have a piece of property that I've hunted for public that I've hunted for five years. I've killed one buck off of it. Out of those five years, and I've encountered some of the biggest deers I, I've ever hunted on that property, um, and got multiple pictures of them, um, and, and encountered them year after year. And it's incredibly hard to hunt, but it's worth me running the content because of the qual- the 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 gear there, the cams, because the of quality of deer. Yeah. Um, I have private land where I run cams that spots that I know I cannot hunt. Like I can't get there and hunt, but it's still important for me to run a cam on that same tree every single year. And I get good fixtures every single year of, you know, a lot of cruiser bucks there. Like it's a cruising property. So it just kind of gives you an idea of what's in the area. Cause I feel like a lot of people they get so small minded when it comes to this is my property. This is the deer that I have. But you get one picture of a random giant right mm-hmm. um, well you know that there's a random giant somewhere so if you can pick up another forty down the road, you know it's worth digging into that area a little bit more than if you say, "I haven't got anything over you know one thirty on cams here all year like the neighboring properties probably are in that same same category you know right. it's not it's those random giants are out there, but if you have a property that consistently has a random giant and maybe he's just a flyer buck, there's a property that's holding him somewhere close, you know, and that's something that I really try to do. I get one piece and I try to get something within a mile, get another piece and then get another little chunk and then get a waterway and then get permission to shed hunt somewhere, but you can't even hunt there, but you can shed hunt there. Okay. What bucks are there during shed seed? And you start, adding some stuff up to where you can see the big picture of like the plot map of an area instead of just your little slice of, you know, I get a one, I get a picture of a giant buck running through here, November 20th to the 25th every year. Um, what's the odds of him coming back? And if you know there's giants in the area, there's a good chance that there will be a giant in there in that time frame. And Boonertown's a property that it doesn't hold beer, but I guarantee you, um, 170 plus goes through that property every year. Cause I get them on cam. It's just like, you just, it's this property. Like you could go in there and hunt and you could kill an absolute legend or you could see nothing. <laughs> it's like, that's just one of those areas.
0: Yeah. Those areas that you've have had great encounters with on bucks that you've killed, maybe just again, just had great encounters with, and you look at now from, you know, March until green up, are you diving into other aspects to learn, okay, this is how deer I saw maybe changed a little bit around the property. How could I help just be like, help myself come fall? Because obviously I know a lot of people really put a lot of eggs in the basket right now, right? It's it's a great opportunity. However, when fall comes around, something could have totally messed up that area, right? There could have been uh intruder hunter hunter there could have been uh something that the game commission has done you know there's different things that play that role and you have to go then off of that new sign so is there anything else that maybe you're looking at a map at a a topo map and you're saying hey i want to check this out like do you push in further in certain spots just to maybe get a little bit better understanding of that piece of property
1: yeah, what, what I like to do if I was going to go scout a piece of property that I've hunted in the past or brand new, I like to break it down. I pick some points that I for sure want to hit. Um, and then from those areas, maybe it's like an inside corner of a, a private ag field or maybe it's a, you know, a, a, a peninsula on the edge of a river where I know they're going to get pinched in or something like that where I can get on some good sign. And I like to do the, the, I call it the fence method. Like I'll go to say the same on private. I'll go to the neighbor's fence line. I'll find the heaviest fence crossing and I'll trust him back into my piece and understand what are the deer doing when they come off the neighbors to get through this property. Right. Okay. Where's, where's the buck sign code. uh, coinciding with these main trails Um, is this main trail going to bedding is this main trail going to food is this main trail just coming off there and and going to another property Um, and then like I said coincide that with the buck sign that you're seeing and uh, I do the same thing on public you know find the ag crossing find a heavy creek crossing find a river crossing and go back from there because it gives you a really good point of where a lot of deer are meeting Um, And then you, instead of kind of just zigzag scouting through a piece, you have a point of reference of where you believe that most of it, you're going to end up at the end of the rainbow. When you can no longer hunt them, this is where they're going to be. Where can I hunt them and and go back from there? And, you know, maybe there's six crossings, you know, on, on a piece of private, right. And you follow three out of those six and they lead to one ag field. Okay, now you've pinpointed three—you know, fifty percent of the main trails on this property is going to this ag or to this bedding, um, and you run a cam on one of those three trails. You got a pretty good chance of getting the majority of the deer that are on that property. Um, that's one thing that I love to do is find a common scout point and don't scout the property off of the whole entire six hundred acre piece. Scout it off of three points of interest and then push in from there. And if these are spots that you think that you can get in to hunt or spots that you think, you know, like 90% of the deer are, are, uh, there's one spot on a piece of public. um, I drive past repeatedly on the way to work, and I always see does crossing the road in the morning, the exact same spot. Right. What do I do? I park the car there. I go in there and say, why are all the does crossing right here? You go in there, there's a water pinch. Makes perfect sense. You go, you know, there's a water pinch that's forcing the deer to come through here. If that's a spot that I hunted in the rut, um, I mentioned it on my rut podcast. I hunted that water pinch, had a really solid buck chase a doe right past me, right past that water pinch, just out of range. Um, so finding a spot of interest instead of going and trying to tackle a giant piece, um, it's the same kind of thing as me not trying to do a shotgun pattern, yeah. you're trying to snipe stuff out. You know, you're trying to be like, okay, I'm really going to focus on this area um, and then go from there. And then one thing that I think a lot of people fail on is they get out, they scout right now, they find the sign, they got a great plan. That this stuff's clicking, man, it's going to be a great year. They get out there. And it's not the shit ain't working. Like it's just not the deer aren't doing what you thought you're noticing that the deer are ridge over, but you're not making a move, right? Like you miss something, maybe you altered them checking cans, maybe someone else altered them. Maybe the neighbor put a juicy chicory clover plot in and it's pulling more deer early season. Like there's something that's changed. So what I like to say is scout, but verify scout right now. But when you get closer to season, verify, that what you think and what you've seen is still the same. And at least you're going to have the, the upper hand of knowing the main travel corridors on that piece. Like that's, that's key where a lot of people are like, well, I got a nighttime picture of them. You know, the deer's alive, you know, the area you got the nighttime pictures of them. Think about that trail system, how it works through that property. Okay where's if he's going east where's the furthest east crossing that i can get to that he might be in daylight run a cam over there you know maybe he's still not daylight there then you know okay this year's probably not daylighting on this piece he's daylight somewhere else um that's that's how i go about it especially this time of year um and i'm also out there i'm planning i'm marking potential camps guy sites if i find a good spot like that i find a scrape you know I, i'm a sucker for Ready to cam long term, and I still have cams out right now. I have three that I haven't got, and uh, they're hella far away, they're hella deep. And uh, I put good batteries in them, they're probably not still taking pictures, maybe they are, but <laughs> I mean, as long as they're not stolen, I got the content still. Yeah. If I get it a year from now, I still got the content. So, um, uh, but yeah, that's where I would start is is uh, getting an area where. You know, there's good deer and then find those main travel routes. And then in season, when you get that joking picture in your mind, you can say, okay, there's a trailer that goes here, a trailer that goes here. What's this deer doing? Make a game plan off of that.
0: Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that saves the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You have deer prediction journaling and the best maps on any hunting app platform. There is use code antler up to save 20% off your Spartan Forge membership at Spartanforge.ai. I love that, dude. There's so many things that were clicking for me. We've got some pretty good deer on camera the last couple of years, right? And we are learning a little bit more of how the deer are using the mountain to, like you said, to travel. And so this past year, was the first year that I made a little bit of just adjustments with my cameras. And this year i dude, I've produced more mature bucks and one and two more bucks just in general on camera than I, my dad and I have ever had before my whole life growing up. You know, I'm 36 years old. I've been going up to the mountain with him for my whole life. Right. and, it's been really cool to see some things of, like you said, finding that travel corridor area. How are these deer? Why are these deer moving and just putting it in different spots that he would have never really have hunted before. Right. And this past year, and I just look to continue that. And by you saying, getting in there a little bit more, figuring out like where these deer are moving, that's exactly what I'm hoping kind of, we could continue to figure out and put a little bit more pieces to the puzzle because man, I know you've killed a lot of nice big deer in October. There were some chances this year that I don't know if I just messed up with the wrong wind because man, I was getting some good ones on camera that I was like, ah, this, this might actually work. And years past dude, like honest to gosh, I never had those opportunities where I was going in on an October hunt, feeling confident that I was going to kill a buck. I was, confident that I could go kill a deer, meaning a doe or whatever. But this past year was the first year where I, I was thinking in my mind, I might have a chance and actually seeing one of these bucks because of I was in that area. Right. So yeah, I'm just trying to do a little bit better with that. And, and, uh, right now putting those cameras out, I want to know what your philosophy is. Cause you were saying you were, you are marking spots now where you plan on putting a camera like here, where I live currently, I don't have any private. I do hunt public. Like I put out a camera already. Just a, it's like a long-term camera. It's a cell camera. It's like you said. It's a little bit further far back, deep. It's a pain in the ass to get back there. If I I did not see really any human sign as far as uh, cam- uh, cameras one or tree stands left up after the season because I know not everybody takes them down here, but I left the camera up and I'm gonna let it soak long term and maybe sometime in October, that will be a morning that I go hunt. And when I quote unquote get down, I'm going to go scout around and check things out to see kind of like what you just said, verify. And that is something a goal of mine is for next year is more. I wanted to scout a lot more right now. So I do have opportunities to hunt here locally in October, a little bit more so than I, you know, kind of going off of historical data. I know in Northeast PA, that end of October into early November does light up, right? That That is kind of my better chance of seeing a mature buck. But at the other side of things, it is on that. I want to scout more locally here so I could have a better idea of what's happening here rather than going, well, I don't know, go and trying to go find the sign now, which is, you know, a lot more difficult. So now is good rather than trying to uh, wait till hunting season.
1: Yeah, the biggest advantage that, you know people always say kill your you know your next year's buck right now and what that means to me and in, in a nutshell, is you know of a buck that is in an area that survived that's yep. key like yep. you, mean, you got a good chance you got a good thought that this deer survived you don't want to waste your time if he hasn't you know if you if you don't know if he's alive or not because we've been there um and, and we've done that game and it's when you put assets and time and something and you know he was killed last year it's a just a com- complete waste but anyways um when people say that you know i'm killing my buck right now through this coming year what they what they're doing in my mind is they're going in on um, where they know that buck likes to be where he he they seen him bed maybe where they got trail cam pictures of him and they're really they're like digging into 35 acres really deep. They're digging into 50 acres really deep. Why is this deer here? Why is he bedding here? Um, what, what is connecting the dots and how can I hunt it? Like right. where's a tree I can get into, where can I access? Well, what time of year do I need to be there? And that's the stuff that they're figuring out right now. Um, and sometimes like we've had bucks do the same thing, you know, same area, they're back on the cams, same time frames, And then I, there's some bucks that there's just nothing that remotely patterns anything. <laughs> they just kind of do whatever they want. Right. Yep. Um, they don't walk on a trail, really, even. They just cut through shit. And um, one thing I have noticed um, the thicker the property, the less dense the deer travel. Like if you've got a kind of an open timber setting, um, they, they're kind of dense in a certain area traveling in. Um, When you get into like some sick CRP overgrown pasture, they're kind of just doing a trail this day. Maybe they take a trail the next day. Um, but I have a lot more success in kind of a a wooded environment. This and I can really pinpoint the deer down uh, when they get into like an overgrown pasture because yeah, I hunt a lot of that. Because one thing, my you know my dad didn't hunt a lot, but my step grandpa from Missouri, he hunted a lot. Okay. And he always said, you know, if there's rabbits there, there's big bucks there. You know, and that overgrown pasture is loaded with rabbits, you know, and and uh, you go into a piece like that and there's bucks everywhere. There's rubs on all the little trees, there's beds, there's scrapes and it's just the deer like to be in that environment, you know, because there's a lot of browse for them without even really moving. Um, a lot of, you know, shrubs and, and high stem count stuff. It's also great thermal cover and yeah. great visual cover, you know? So, um, it's got kind of everything they need right there. Um, and, and sometimes I get into that, some of that stuff and it's like tore up. And then other times it's not tore up. And I think it's just terroristics of deer in an area that just goes back to, like you said, you've been hunting this piece. You're kind of seeing what the bucks are doing. You're getting more trail cam data. And there be there come a time on that piece where you're kind of finding knack for that spot. And you're like, okay, this is this is something that I can do. And then you're pill and then you're like, oh, you know, and then you're kill again and you're like, oh, I'm really on to something. You know, and then yep. just like the piece that I killed, you know, the Tina piece where I killed, you know, I killed a 155 with a bow, a one forty eight with a bow. Um, I shot and lost a buck that was one eighty plus. I killed Freeze at one ninety-three. I killed 155 inch 10 pointer and it was just, I just figured that piece out and the shit was just clicking. And I killed those, those bucks out of three different stands, but they were just, it was, they were all doing the same thing. It was just right. different times of the year, you know, and, and stuff was really clicking for me and working good. Um, and you get there where shit starts clicking for you. And then you're like, God, I dig this. And th- as long as everything don't change anything or you don't pressure real hard, um, you can consistently kill in the same manner these bucks um, because I don't know if it's a, you know, a genetic thing or if the young bucks, even big bucks doing certain things and surviving, but big right. deer do big deer shit on property. <laughs> and then they just continue to do the same thing. You know, that's yep. what I'm seeing.
0: Big deer do <laughs> big deer shit. I love that. That's going to be like the title of this <laughs> podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just something that, Um, it it always comes back to like some might throw a wrench in the system. Be like, why, man? Why did he do that? But just like that buck last year, I hit the limb on. Of course, he went downwind of the scrapes and didn't walk right into the scrapes like every two and three year old does. Of course, he went downwind and checked them. He's checking them from fifty yards away, away, scent checking them. He don't have to go to the scrape, you know. So, um, it's just the small things that you see over time, and then you're like, man, I'm a, I'm a dumbass. I knew that he would do that. But me, I'm like, there's a scrape on my right. There's a scrape on my left. I'm gonna get right in the middle. If he hits either one. I can shoot either one, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it was supposed to work, but he went down to both of them. So, right. you know, I, it just, it didn't, it didn't really pan out.
0: No, dude, you brought up some really great points and I, I love it. And when you talk about, you know, you having 40 plus cameras, do you do anything different as far as your camera strategy, your hunting strategy on the private to to public at all? Just because, I mean, I know, I know both have their challenges, right? Like they're not the same, but they're a one. I know for some people could say, yeah, one is easier than the other, but I don't really say that. Right. Because again, depending on what kind of property and your property layout is, uh, but, you know, do you do anything different with your camera strategy or even your hunting strategy for either?
1: Yeah, um, I consider them two completely different animals of how I hunt, how I approach them. Um, the private, I most of the time the private pieces are smaller, mm-hmm. um, so I'm way more fragile on there. I don't like to go in there. I don't like to press deep. Um, public, I'm kind of balls to the wall just trying to make stuff happen. Um, I was a hundred percent public for a while. I lost most of my private. I'm picking up more private um but i'm I would say I'm aggressive on the private w when I need to be, but I'm always aggressive on the public because why not you know right, right um you're not only trying to kill that deer, you're trying to beat everybody else to kill that deer um and some of the the private that I run, I run a specific cam. You know, a lot of minor specific cam people know me by that. they see me in the parking lot. I've been running this podcast for a long time. They know the cams they know the areas. I don't hang any preset stands for that fact. I run dummy cams to try to throw people off the trail a little bit um, and uh, they, the guys are savages dude. there's some savage dudes out there that are not. I got one guy killer dude killer hunter real i mean just awesome guy but dude he 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 goes harder than i do straight up yeah i'm insane for it and he is he's on like there's no amount of work for him if he wants to get in a spot if he's got to spend a day and a half cutting a hand trail to get there he's going to get there with me i'm like it's a giant buck but man i got something that's pretty solid over here i'm gonna go take a (laughs) poke at him you know he's just not you know and then the dude kills And the dude the dude he kills you know he killed the second biggest deer on that that public um and uh last year and you know i was that was jacked for him the dude he deserves it like i planned on going and getting in an area that was really hard and he was already there you know i'm like (laughs) i see the cans back there i'm like I'm like I know that is, and three minutes later I get a text message. Ah, oh, you're back in there, are you? I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna throw a couple cams up. <laughs> you know? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's we got a we got a bunch back there, you know, and we kind of have a respect for each other that we know um, we're not gonna play dirty, but we're not gonna play easy either. We're gonna we're both gonna swing for the fences out there, and um, I struck out. Um, passed a couple good deer and I was just after one specific deer out there and I uh I went in there and hunted him and one day I went in, it was really cold. It's a long ways in. You got a bike a long ways in, you gotta hike, you gotta pack the stuff in. I got down in this bottom and I had a trail cam picture of him with some does and I was like, Okay, he's with these does about two days ago. I said, If he comes off these does, where is he gonna go? Like where would be the next doe group that he, right when he come off that doe, he would bump to. Um, and I went down that bottom and I hunted, I seen that group of four does, nothing with them, little basket eight come through, um, end up passing, uh, a, a buck that was pretty solid. Um, and eight probably at one twenties, eight with a split to mid twenties. Um, and, uh, I was like, man, good hunt. I end up, when I got down, I ended up bumping, uh, bumping those four does that were coming out of that bedding area. I was like, shit, you know, I should have got out earlier or whatever. Um, but I went back to work the next day. Right. That was the last day of my vacation. And uh, running a cell camp right where I was set up and um, snowed that night, big, like two or three inches. And that morning he came through there, 9 a.m., all covered in snow, 190-inch plus deer, oh. 20 yards from where I set up, middle of daylight, like 9 a.m., Working the wind, exactly, just going to that, going to those does. I was a day off when he bumped off those does to the other does. And I'm at work. I get that. I get the notifications. I'm like, I don't even want to look at it, you know? And then it's him out there just giant as hell. And I'm like, dude, like, (laughs) it's, you feel good because you know you made the right move. You're just a day off, you know? And props to that deer, man. Props to that deer, he. He hung with those girls a little longer than I thought he's going to. Yeah,
0: <laughs> dude. I'll, so here's a, a random question, and wh- and it's regarding this because I never. I don't know if I would ever see a 193 on the hoof here where I hunt right and in your mind like there's been times where i've hung either like a new camera or if i was just outside of like a killing like i laid my eyes on a buck that i was hoping to find and when he you know comes without killing that deer right and take take the 193 out of it just take like man that was a great deer i knew i was after do you look at that as like i won right do you look at that as like checkmate I got you there. You just, you were just that, like you were the alt he ultimate checkmate you, but you checkmate him because you found yeah. them. You do you know what I mean? Do you see what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I know. I
1: know what you're saying. I, uh, I have felt like that on a couple deer. One in particular was I had this buck, um, incredible eight pointer, probably high forties, 50, but he had like a nine inch drop off one side. Okay. You know? So he'd have been a sixties class deer, i-56 class deer and um that was a deer that i was like getting sporadic cams pictures and i was like man i just don't know where this deer's at and there's this little bitty shitty ditch on the neighbors i mean it's tiny little trees in it grass brown bean field i mean the driest brownest beans you've ever seen um and i'm like i bet you that deer's in there i bet you he's in there you know um and uh I go out middle October, it's warm. I'm sitting in this, I set up in this area. I've never seen a deer here, like never on the edge of the property, um, 250 yards from the house. Like I'm not really in thick cover. That buck comes right out into those dry beans and starts eating and he's at like 70 yards and i grunt at him and he puts his head down he rips it up he's got bean stubble (laughs) hanging down you know and stuff and i see that giant drop and i'm like oh i got you i got you man yeah i know exactly where you're at um and uh he didn't come into the grunt man he just stood out there come out at 70 and worked away in those beans and fed for 30 minutes in the daylight um and i was like you know what i didn't kill that deer but i was just so close and yeah. it was off of just the pure fact i got some pictures of him ran through my mind of like this where could he be you know and yeah. i just was like i bet you he's in there um and i ended up finding that deer dead during oh. shed season uh I, I still have the deadhead salvage tag just a freaking awesome bucks so you got a little split two and giant drop time right off the main beam um and uh, drop time buck something I don't have. That's I missed the drop time buck last For year. Sure. The JoJo buck had a little five inch main beam drop, and I was like, "That's the one." Yep, that's the one that I got. <laughs> it's just something I don't have that I'm ready to get, you know. And I've the buck that I shot and lost that was high eighties. It had a drop time. I just kind of curse when it comes to 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 that feature, I guess. But um, that was one of those bucks where I was like, you know, he died during shed season. I don't know how quick, he died during the season, but I never encountered him after that hunt. Yeah, But I was like, man, I was so close. And if he would have come to that grunt, that deer, you know, yeah. and a lot of my situations have been like that, where, um, a buck, I call Magna PI. A lot of people know same thing, you know, hundred mid nineties class deer, um, 75 yards, middle of a CRP field grunted at him. I was right there working through the pinch. Right where I needed to be, just and like I, when you get that close and you throw the grunt at him, you throw the snort. Weed, what I mean, what can you do? Like yeah. you're a tree, a couple of trees off. Like you got it. You got to take some pride in that, and um just know that wasn't, you know, it wasn't your day. Like it was the deer's day, but. Going back to it and you think about the situation of why the deer did it and you're like, Well, that makes sense, you know, yeah. why he was there but um it's hard to take all the everything into one nutshell but it's way easier to see a deer do something and then talk about why it was there Cuz right. stuff starts clicking a little better
0: yeah hell yeah dude well here's a little educational piece that i think i would like you to maybe explain to listeners because you brought up talking about that buck or a little bit earlier about hitting down and maybe getting down to river bottom hitting a scrape and you know like you said that buck could just check that 50 yards downwind and doesn't need to hit that scrape. Right. And, you know, you could make a, a dumb access route, you know, maybe give, give your game plan or your, what you would do in this situation. You are hunting the middle of October. It's at October 18th through the 23rd. I, I, you know, time frame. you find some fresh sign, whether it be a scrape or some rubs and then you, boom, you come across that scrape and you know it's fresh, you're about to get some rain tonight, you know what I mean, and tomorrow you think that buck's going to refresh and that sucker up. What's your game plan with the win? You can give yourself like this scenario of maybe something you re, you've already lived this, or how are you attacking this moment?
1: Um. So if I found a spot that I was pre-fired up upon, what I would really want is historical data. That'd be number one. If I had historical data of a buck hitting that scrape, those bucks come back to the same scrapes. Um, they just do. Um, it's something you can write, you know, if the deer's alive, more than likely he's going to hit that scrape depending on if it's, uh, you know, if it's a buck that gets killed and he starts that scrape, then that the, the scrape might not be there. Like some, sometimes the, the scrapes just never pop back up and, uh, what i've I've killed the deer and then went in there like had a scrape that was fire for two years killed the deer that was always the first deer, the most active deer on the scrape and then the scrape's not there last year you know so what i would want is i would want it to be october third week october i would want it to be an evening um where the scrape is pretty close to bedding where i think this deer is bedding i would want some attraction i in daylight on it within the last 10 days. It'd be awesome. Okay. Um, uh, but that doesn't have to happen. Um, but I would want it to be, you know, decent weather. Don't need to be freezing, but like 55 for the high, like just a nice crisp, you know, maybe 40 for the low 55 for the high third week of October. Um, if there was any, um, rain in the forecast, I would want it to probably rain fairly hard, um, for, you know, an hour or so giving me an hour and a half before dark. Um, and I would want to be set up. There's two, there's two ways I like to set up on and it's depending on how the deer is. Um, i I want to set up right on the scrape where I can like, I mean, as close as I can get where I can cover the J hook. Got it. Um, so if he comes in J-hooking, I want to be able to shoot that. But if, I, if he comes directly to the scrape, I want to shoot that. So try to play the buffer. Like, is the deer going to go downwind, hit it? If he scent checks, it keeps rolling. If he J-hooks in, because um, the buck I killed off the urban piece be uh, two years ago in October, um, he J-hooked right into that scrape, actually walked away from the scrape, circled out around it, and then came in and we were catching them trying to come in on the downwind side, and we shot them. But if we would have been set up on, you know, on the other side of the scrape, it wouldn't have worked, you know. But you got to give them enough of the wind on that scrape to where you can catch them before they make that 90-degree turn to J-hook. If they do J-hook, sometimes they don't. Um, Cover the downwind side more than the actual scrape, you know, Um, but have the scrape in open. So maybe 30-yard shot to – the downwind side and I can catch them angling in at maybe a twenty five yeah. or something and then maybe twenty five from the scrape or you know, twenty from the scrape. Um and I've I've set as close as five yards on top, like literally where the scrapes stand there at the base of the tree, because I don't plan on killing that deer there. I plan on killing them twenty yards away from there, thirty yards away from there. Um, but that's where I would want that to be would be evening, right. little rain. I got in a preset stand is always great. Um, but if you got, you know, if you hang a stand, you got a little cover noise with the, with the rain. Um, um, and there's something about October rains. I will go down in history saying that that just gets bucks up for some reason. I have no idea why. Um, but there's some, something about it where they're just like, I'm going to get up and and move around. Um, but yeah, that would be my go-to time to attack that situation.
0: I love that, man. Thank you for explaining that little educational piece. Now, before we kind of, there's two other things I'm hoping we could squeeze in before we get off. You know, I guess you run Exodus trail cameras. Just I, that's what I run mainly as well. Obviously you saw the whole Kansas thing banning it on, on public land and everything like that. What's your take? Are you hunting a lot of out, out of hunt or out of state hunts? Do you, agree with it i'm gonna probably say no since you run yeah. 40 cams i'm yeah. I, i'm with you on that side of things you know i guess that's the the hot topic right now and, you know a couple weeks ago when ata happened it was oh these live on demands like i'm not i'm not for that like it doesn't really do me any good exodus has been having that feature on scout tech for years anyway and i never once mm-hmm. don't think i used it other than when i wanted to I've make never, sure, yeah
1: I i've wanted, never used it other than take a picture to make sure this, this game we working. Working. <laughs> the yeah. ever done. Yeah,
0: correct. You um, know, what's your, what's, I guess, what's your thought process, man? Because I was one that was potentially thinking about being dead red on going to Kansas and not that doesn't steer me away. I just don't know how maybe, cause last year was a really high application number for Kansas and it's like, okay, what does next year do? Does that drop? Does this now cause yeah. people to think like, I don't want to go. Or does that cause people to say, Oh, now I w- will go. You know what I mean? So yeah. what's, what's your take on I, it, man?
1: I don't like it at all. Um, a couple of reasons just from what I watched and what I've seen. Um, I don't believe it's actual game and benefit to hunting related. I think it's a controversy from two different types of hunters. Um, and I have seen the controversy of that in my own state where there's ground that's designated for one type of hunting and then they start allowing gear hunting on that area it never goes well, like cams get messed with, cams get stolen, people are messing up your hunt on purpose. Um, so I believe that's what it, it's about. I don't, that's just my speculation, right. um, because I know why Utah did it. Um, and the way, the reason they did it makes more sense to me. Um, but, uh, the Kansas, it's, it's a different animal than, than Utah. You know, it's, yeah. it's more, more of a, an open kind of open land where you're not going to push these animals so far that it changes how they're living. Like right. they're just going to bump right. around and, and go a hundred yards from you. But, what a lot of people thinks that it will do is it will lower pressure. I think it up the pressure. Um, I think people, one thing that I think trail cameras do, which is kind of strange that keeps people don't it. think about is I think it kind of keeps them. timid and honest. Yeah. Like a guy doesn't want to wreck a whole piece of public land maybe because he thinks he's going to be on 38 people's trail cams. Um, you know, maybe it's November and he's thinking about going over here and scouting a ridge but he sees two or three cams and he's like, ah, you know, maybe I'll back out or maybe, well, someone's probably hunting this area. It kind of gives an idea of what's going on. Um, but now it's going to be just open. And the thing with it is it's a law, but people aren't going to follow it. Right. Like there's going to be guys that are running cams and running cell cams and running red cams. And they're going to have such an upper leg on regular hunters by breaking the law. Yeah, you know, and I and that's how a lot of things are. You know, you 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 cheat; it's easier. And now Kansas public land trail cams are cheating. Which, without trail cams, I, I my my success as a hunter when I started using trail cams just encountering big deer skyrocketed. Cause I'm, I was wasting time where deer weren't even living right. and just not knowing my learning curve. You know, uh, I think about like a, maybe a 17 year old kid, maybe his dad don't hunt. He's just trying to get into hunting and he only has public land, you know, and now he's just going out there. No idea what kind of deer are on the ground. No idea. And I know people say the big topic is woodsmanship, right? But what people don't understand about woodsmanship is, It's either passed down or learned over like a generation, right? Like without the Intel show cameras, the, the woodsmanship learning curve would be how much time can you spend in the woods? That's what it would be. So a guy that didn't have a job, huge advantage on a guy who worked full time and had, you know, four kids, (laughs) a guy that, you know, has been hunting the same piece for 30 years, huge advantage over some new kid that's just starting. Um um so a guy that is, you know, I maybe maybe it's a, a an adult, you know, and he's 30 years old, he's like, I'm gonna start hunting, and he wants to be successful, he wants to just see does, he wants to see deer. Yep. Like the the whole tendency for them was about bucks and age class and this and that. And I'm like, if people don't know there's a 170 out there, they're gonna shoot, shoot. the first 130 they see. Mm-hmm. It's gonna lower the age class. It's going to make it harder to find the deer. The deer are going to have just as much pressure. There's going to be people going into areas more scouting and hunting. And I think there's going to be people that outlaw it. And then I think there's people that are going to think it's going to be, it's, it's the cool thing to do now is, team no trail cam out there hunting the public land <laughs> look what i did i got it done with on a piece of ground with no trail cams that's going to be five years down the road i'm calling it out right now yeah there's going to be people traveling to specific states that don't allow trail cams just so they can say i got this done off of woodsmanship like it, that it, it's just it's going to happen and um i think that i don't think kansas is going to see a huge draw in tags um but it, I think it'll make a small impact. But I think they, the deer harvest numbers will will go down. Yeah, I get just that. just per pure fact of a guy's like, man, I got seven does coming in here. I'm gonna go kill two of them. Like you're gonna you're gonna just see less deer. Just straight up, it's gonna be harder to find them. You're not gonna know how to access the ground, um, and people are gonna listen to this and say, well, that's that's woodsmanship. That's stuff that you just gotta find, um, but if you want people to have, you want people to continue to hunt, continue to buy tags, they got to kill deer. Right. Like they got to have a good time. Yep. You know, people say I'm out there for the, you know, to be in the wilderness and and all of us are, but we also don't want to go two or three years without killing anything, Yep. you know? And and if everybody, if, if everybody, if I never had trail camps and they took every single one that I had right now and said, these are completely banned. You cannot use them. Um, I would say my sightings of the age, the size of deer that I want to chase would cut in half. Like the first year it would cut in half because I wouldn't know that Hunter Joe bumped him over here and now he's hanging out over here. It would just it would hurt my hunting substantially. So I'm against it. Um, I know that Illinois talk talking about public land banning um, bird time of year already. Um, So I could see Illinois being one of the next states that do it. Um, But like I said, there's going to be guys out there that, and the thing is, it's like, well, we're not going to do it. We want to improve our herd. We want to do better for the age class, but we're not going to push anything for private land. (laughs) We're not even going to suggest that you don't use cameras on private land. You can do whatever you want there. Yep. But public land that the people pay for it, that everybody's supposed to own, you can't do this. Yeah, totally. I mean, and and the game wardens, holy shit. Like, the game wardens are, like, there's going to be an in-pound lot of trail cameras that's a mountain high. Yeah. Because people aren't going to go, okay, aren't going to go get the cams for one, and then people are still going to run them. Right. You know, like, there's going to be a few people that are like, I'm going to follow the laws and do the right thing, but I'm going to say there's going to be 30% of guys that are like, you know what? I'm running games. Right. Oh,
0: so. Hell yeah. We head off then, Cody. Let's dive into a recap of, I guess, your season this year. And then anything that you plan on changing for next year?
1: Uh, well, this year I encountered more of my big bucks than I ever did. Had close encounters, had close calls. I drew on the same buck three times the same day. Ooh. Um I I run I grunted grunted and rattled in two shooter bucks at the same time. Um I missed that what giant by one day. I shot and hit the limb on that other buck. Um just I hunted I encountered really big like high one forties, eight with my kids in the blind came to 60 yards. Wouldn't come any closer. That'd have been the first year I ever killed in an open cut cornfield with those, um, passed a really good buck during gun season. Um, and there's something about, it seems like November 25th to December 15th. I struggled during that time frame. So all those close calls, all those encounters, um, didn't, result in, I only released one arrow and that was at that buck I missed, but I ended up killing a buck December 28th on a little, um, kill plot that I made just a one you do with a four wheeler and a hand sprayer and broadcast yeah. some seed. Um, I was able to, to kill that buck and just a real solid three-year-old is right at 131 inch a pointer with some base kickers, just Whew. great, great buck, you know, nothing insane. Um, but, I was really proud of that deer. Cause my year had been one of like, if I was filming stuff, so I have every, all the content and if people were following me around, they're like, dude, you're all over shit. Yeah. But I was just, I missed that buck and I, I was timid and I should have took some shots after watching the footage where I didn't. Um, and I was, I was seeing deer every shit though. Like yeah. I was in, in the game. Um, and it was a really fun year. I hunted really hard. Um, I took I hunted 19 days straight. Um, I took a few mornings and evenings off there. Um, and then I hunted late season fairly hard and ended up killing. And, uh, I, uh, killed a couple deer, a couple does. I killed a doe with a bow and I killed a couple does with a gun, Um, So it it was all around good year, but um, next year, like I said, I'm only going to target a select few bucks instead of trying to, to span out and have a, that shotgun pattern. I'm going to go back to the the sniper pattern um, and just try to take out a couple. And uh, like I mentioned, you know, before we started this, the kid's going to start hunting. So first goal is, I'd really like to get him just a deer, which it would be really easy. And then I really want to get him like a six point or like a basket eight or you know. just something, you know. Um just uh I'd never been like an incredibly emotional guy, but when it comes to my kids, I'm like the most emotional crying. Like <laughs> my kid my kid, he's eight and he had like you know, he was playing basketball and he's having just an incredible game for an eight-year-old. And, um, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a tie game and he steals the ball and he's going down and it's that, that scene, you know, yep. <laughs> and he shoots it. He misses of course. But like in that moment, I caught myself tearing up. Like, I'm like, dude, this is, this is my life right here, you know? And now I get to experience that, um, with what I love and deer hunting. And so I already know it's gonna absolutely rock my world of how incredibly impactful that moment's gonna be on my life. Yeah. Um, so I'm extremely excited for that. Um and uh we we kinda went overkill. We got him a crossbow, we got him a three fifty legend, we got him a Missouri rifle. He's going down Missouri rifle hunt with me to the family farm. Um, so the kid's gonna be Thrown into the mix of every different type of hunting and <laughs> what he what he enjoys what he enjoys and uh, I told my wife I said I don't care if uh, none you know they don't like hunting but I got four kids so I got four chances of one of them falling in love with it and uh, my five year old seems to really really be he asked for a shotgun for his birthday at five years so there old there you the go kid, squirrel, <laughs> and so, so I went and bought him one of those uh, breakdown. 410 22s survival rifles i told my wife i said we can get him some other stuff as well but they're reasonably priced and it's something he can have the rest of his life and you know when he shoots a squirrel when he's 40 hopefully he thinks about me like that's that's what it you know thinks about the memories we had um yeah that's the the main goal for me is um try to neck down on the bucks that I'm targeting, focus on just a few and then really focus on just being as low pressure and as fun and high energy with my kid as I can be about hunting. If he messes up, if we spook deer, if whatever goes down, um, we're going to be out there just having the absolute time of our lives. And it's the same thing with shed hunting. Like when we go shed hunting together, it's an adventure. Yeah. Like, And my kids kind of expect it now. Like we go on certain hikes. There's certain spots that we sit, we have a snack. It's like an overlook. And he's like, yeah, let's go shed. But I want to go to that one spot where we overlook the lake that looks like a T with a rock. (laughs) I'm like, okay, dude, let's go. go. And I walked out like two weeks ago, but it's more of just having that spot. And there's a spot that he found a pair of sunglasses. They were all scratched as shit. And he's always like, yeah, let's go back to the sunglass spot. Yeah. I'm like, that's not a very good spot for sheds. But yeah. he has association <laughs> with those sunglasses. I'm like, all right, man, let's go back to the sunglass spot. But, yep. um, just trying to get them to understand you know how how impactful honey can be in their life and it's something that they can enjoy forever. But we just went out recently and found our personal biggest four point side shed.
0: I, I saw that the other day. You posted yeah, it, man. And
1: uh, it's a it's giant. I haven't scored it yet, but I was just trying to tell him, like you might not ever find a four point side bigger than this in your whole entire life. Like this might be the peak of your this shit hunting forever, yep. you know, and it. trying to get him to understand the, the heaviness of the, the situation and how like I'm, I'm amped up, but yeah, he, he just brought it to me. I mean, it's, Sucker, G2 man. Is, is insane, dude, but wow. yeah, he's, but it's a monster shed. So he found he found one on the same property pretty good um five point side a few years ago. And um it's this great grandpa's field. Like it's just a cool, cool moment um that I'll remember forever and hopefully him as well. So that'd be the goal is just making it as just absolutely over the top exciting for him. Um and uh, and trying to kill a, a giant. I wanna kill another I wanna go above that one fifty mark and get kill another one sixty with the bow. Um that's that's the main goal. So like and it, then man. Missouri rifle gonna go down there and smash him, huh? Yeah. yeah. Go down there and crush him
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like it, man. Well, before you get off here, Cody, just quick rapid fire. What's the favorite day of the hunt? What's what is your favorite day to
1: hunt? Um if I got a cold front, October fifteenth, I've killed two bucks on October fifteenth um, in the evening, um, and something about that that time of year, the leaves are starting to change. It's still nice out; um, it's not real cold. Yep. Um, and you get that cold front, and it's just like like that first time where a lot of deer want to move. Yeah. And uh, just a, that's a magical time in the woods, and uh, I really like that that time frame. I like it. Favorite favorite piece of clothing of hunting gear that you own or that you use I have a pair of uh pry bibs from Badlands that I never really had invested in something that was kind of expensive yep um, and I bought that for late season hunting and now I have no excuse if it's negative <laughs> temps I can I can literally go hunting um, and then another thing that I'll mention that a lot of people don't know um, and I ran ads for them for maybe a month and a half um, is a company called Underwarmer. I don't run ads for them anymore, but especially basically like a fitted wife beater. And it has eight hot hands embedded in the t-shirt. And uh, like you can literally go out when it's insanely cold and wear a hoodie and a light jacket. And you're like warm, like wow. incredibly warm. Uh, we went out and tried to kill a buck called, we call Buzz Lightyear. Um, and my old uh podcast go she ended up missing that deer that night, but it was negative twelve real temp, and we were out, and I never even zipped up my jacket, and they're like 10 and they're you can zip lock bag them, you can get like three hunts out of them. It's just like something that's incredibly cheap that a lot of people don't know about, yeah, but it's like when you are able to go out there at, in any weather, it's just dynamite. Yeah. It's, it's something that's so cheap. And when you look at it, you're like, that's janky. That ain't going to work. But when you wear (laughs) them, you're like, dude, this thing is epic. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's Primo right there. I like it, dude. Well, Cody, where could people find you? What day you releasing that podcast? I know you said it was Wednesday, but you know, just go ahead and re talk about touch upon where people could find you and what you got going on, dude.
1: Yeah. They can find me uh, anywhere. You can listen to podcasts. I recently went to waypoint as well. So you can find me on there, uh, Spotify, iTunes, um, Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Um, I release Wednesday at 11 a.m. Central Time. I have for five and a half years. Um, so I continue, I'm continue. i going to continue to release episodes for the next five years. Um, one thing I'd like to mention is, you know, we do this podcast, and a lot of people ask me why I do it or what's the end goal. And the end goal is imagine, you know, you said you have a nine-year-old daughter, right? Imagine your nine-year-old daughter, she's 18 or whatever, and something happens to you or whatever, and you're not around anymore. She's going to have literally years of your life where she can go back and listen to her dad talk about what he loved, probably talk about stuff that she had going on in her life, um, talking about the kids and what they got going on. And how powerful, how cool would that be if you had that for like your dad or your grandpa where he recorded something once a week about what he had going on and you got to listen to it 20 years ago because the content lives forever. Yep. Um, So the, the, the end goal would be, it would be, I would be incredibly happy if like my kid continues to hunt and I can just kind of envelop him in the podcast and we go over what he's got going on we go over what I got going on. My next kid comes in and it's kind of like a, a family tradition deal where we're just releasing content about what we going on. And then it's not only other people can listen to it, but it's stored forever in a way that we can go back and listen to it as well. Um, so if he kills his first year this year um, and we get to record that and I have him on the podcast, I'll get to go back and live that forever yep. ever and, and ever. say, you know, and and listen to that story in his eyes, you know, um, and him telling the story, what he thought when what happened. Um, and then he'll get to relive that when he's 25 and he shows his kids, it's just, it's something that's way more powerful than people understand other than just talking about betting and scrapes and yep. stuff like that. There's a lot, there's a lot more to it, but, um, that's my end goal of podcasting is just leave a legacy is what I've been saying for five years and, This is my way of leaving leaving a legacy for, for me, for people that know me, for my kids, for my grandkids. Um, how cool, I mean, your grand, your great grandkid one day is like, I want to start hunting. Well, Hey, great grandpa Cody had a podcast back in the two thousands, you know, (laughs) and, uh, you know, you can, he's got five, six, seven, eight years of him learning how to hunt. And then hopefully Ten years of him where he was crushing giants, you yep. know. Like, <laughs> uh, so that's that's what I am bright for the future. But uh, I, uh, you know, I appreciate letting me come on and, and talk about the podcast and what I got going on a little bit on, on your show. I appreciate it.
0: Hell yeah, man, dude! Welcome to any time, and I appreciate it. So if you are already not listening. Go put this into the rotation, man. I know you will not be disappointed. So, thanks again, Cody, for coming on. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week. Till next time, Antler up.